the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Welcome to the show. Wow. <laughs> Losing my voice. Oh, got a lot of stuff going on. Markets today, it's pretty interesting. It's been a very interesting year. The uh, S&P 500 reached highs this year after starting off or actually ending last year really negatively. Uh, what's interesting, if you measure from where the stock market peaked back in October of last year, it's only up about 10%. So it's up 10% over last year. Uh, from its high, but on an annual basis, I mean, if you look at January or if you look at the end of the year last year, uh, it's up over 30%. So from that bottom, looks a whole lot better than it did if you went to the last top <laughs> and you measured from there. So, but I'll take it. Hey, you know what? It's a good year. And uh, the, the nice thing is that stocks are still not overpriced, even though. They're at uh, all-time highs. That's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal that the economy's growing uh, very well. It's an even bigger deal that a lot of the technologies that are coming on online are going to f- provide future growth. My question is, where are we going to get all the workers that are needed? Because these are actually skilled positions that we need workers for. They have to have technical skills. That's why you're hearing so much in the news about the STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, and math, because we need a lot of those, like a lot. And uh, somebody's got to design all these things. Somebody has to operate them, and somebody's got to. The operations is not as hard as designing or manufacturing, but you know we'll work it out sooner or later, one way or another. And uh, in the meantime, it's a really good year. For, uh, it's been a really good year for the stock market. Um, everybody's going to, everybody asks, well, well, how long is it going to last? Well, you really don't know that. Uh, but what you can know is enough. What you can know about the stock market is enough. That in the long run, stocks have a tendency to keep up with the economic growth. They tend to, the better stocks have, have a tendency to do a little bit better than average. Uh, and that's good. S&P 500 is a bear to beat, by the way. The, uh, if you don't know what the S&P 500 is, don't worry about it. Um, one of the things that uh, I think is, is kind of unique, and it's been this way for quite a while now, is that the, uh, the stock market is probably 
one of the few things that has a chance to put in returns that are going to be higher than five or six percent. Because when when you look at bonds, look at government bonds, the uh, in particular, if you look at CDs, the interest rates are nowhere near five or six percent. So if you're going to have a return that's actually over three percent, it's probably because you have some uh, stocks in your portfolio might be dividend paying stocks. Yeah, there could be any number of thousands of stocks out there or the the funds that invest in them. This is another uh, trend, by the way, that hasn't been slowing down. The number of funds that have been created has outnumbered the number of stocks that has been created for them to invest in. And I think that's really interesting. The the number of funds outnumbering the number of stocks. (laughs) And that number is actually, it's increasing. There are more and more funds opening up and fewer and fewer new stocks to invest in. So what does that mean? Well, at some point in time, stocks probably become overvalued. Um, We're a long way off from that right now. So I'm not going to worry about that yet. And in the meantime, if you're looking at something that has an interest rate that's above 3%, that means there's some sort of risk there. Not necessarily bad, but it's definitely risk. So I know there's a lot of um, products out there that, that have guaranteed minimum interest rates that are above 3%. And, you know, we've been talking about a couple of those and the, uh, the issue with that is that the guarantee is is as good as the company that's making the guarantee. That's the issue. So if you're going to take that, and they're normally, I'm, what I'm really talking about are fixed annuities or some sort of an annuity that's going to guarantee you a, a minimum rate of return. Well, that minimum rate of return is not guaranteed by the government. It's guaranteed by the company that's making the guarantee. And you need to pay close attention to that. And, uh, you know, we saw in 2008, 2009, don't want to repeat that process, but uh, in a lot of the companies that paid the highest rates and were making the highest guarantees back then uh, and had to fold, basically, are back to doing the same thing. Lovely. <laughs> but uh, bottom line is I'm, I am really comfortable with stocks and real, especially with the uh, availability of choices that you have. And I think that's uh, that's a really good thing. If, if stocks were overpriced, you know, if, if this was Japan in 1988, I'd be depressed. Why would I be depressed? Because stocks were, you know, in Japan in 1988 were at a level that they shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been there. They weren't worth what they were selling for. And today, here you are, all these years later, the Japanese stock market is down significantly from where it was in 1988. So we're not there. We're not even close to that level. And the economy is going good. The economy is going to continue to go good. And I'm going to tell you why. It's called technology. It's actually called, you know, climate change. Anybody who doesn't believe climate change now doesn't live in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> because you look out the window and wow, you know, a couple of days ago, it was really warm, and I'm looking at it going, man, that, I'm having a hard time believing the kind of weather that we have, and I think it's a uh, probably a good thing, but um, 
that it feels good anyway, <laughs> but it also represents opportunity. And I think it's going to push, you know, the weather change when people finally accept that our climate's changing and maybe that we have something to do with it. And even if they don't, incidentally, it's going to cause economic growth. And we'll talk about a little bit more about that as soon as I get back from this phone call. And if you'd like to call us, the number is 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. And I got uh, Jerry. Jerry, how you doing? Uh, good morning, William, and a uh, happy new year to you and yours. Thanks to you, too. Uh, I do have a question or so from a uh, analytical standpoint. When you say stocks are not overvalued right. or overpriced, what do you base your findings on? It's called an earnings yield. Earnings yield, okay. Yep. So, Okay, and exactly that is? Well, the long-term average of the uh, S&P's uh, earnings yield is right around 4.7. And okay. right now I think it's about 4.65. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah, it's right in line with what would be average. And, and this is how you do an earnings yield. You take the earnings that a company has, you divide it by the share price. It allows you to kind of compare one stock against another. And it allows you to compare right. stocks against CDs, although they are not CDs. They're stocks. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. So if you look at the earnings yields, and in fact, let me do some let me do one with uh Apple here since I uh okay. I'm pulling this up as we speak. And my I'm using my uh cell phone as my uh what you call it? My I've actually hooked up to the internet through the cell phone. <laughs> okay. So let me see. It really doesn't uh Okay, whoops. Earnings yield, here we go. This is hard, sorry about that. I should, probably should have looked this up beforehand. Okay, so let's see. Apple, oh, this is just looking at the, uh, doggone it. I have so many things I can click on here. You're looking at earnings yield from a historical perspective. Is that accurate? Um, you look at historical, but you also look at the current. Okay. Right, right. The comparison yeah. of the two, of mm-hmm. course. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, Apple has a uh, $260 billion in revenue. Apple's profit margins, uh, most recently, are a little over 21%. I can tell you that's a little high. Uh, it's average profit margins somewhere between 15 and 20. So, you know, I'll take that. I'll take the 20%. That's net after tax, sure. by the way. Think about that for a second. Wow. Net after tax. Yeah. That's why they're Apple. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So I look at the, uh, the price to sales ratio right around five. And, uh, if your earnings yield was a, uh, um, at 5%, you would take the profit margin, divide it by 5%, and that would be your price to sales ratio. So if the profit margin is a uh, 21%, you're divided by, by 5, it should be around 4 times. Apple's price-to-sales ratio is 5. The uh, So it's just slightly ahead of where it, it should be, but they're, they're, uh, what people are banking on is that it's going to grow. Okay, Sure, that's the premium part of it. Yeah, yeah. so if I looked at the revenue and uh, I looked at the net income, they had uh, $55 billion in profit on $260 billion in sales. Jeez. Market cap is one point two 
It's almost one point three trillion. That's what the trillion. that's what the value of the stock is. Wow. So if I take twelve hundred and divide it by fifty five, the earning well, right, 55, actually fifty five by sixty sixty six. Eighty is uh, four four point two. So the earnings yield, if I divide their profits by the, the value of the stock or the profits by the share price, that's that's what an earnings yield is. Okay. And right now, actually, let me do this. I just did that using uh, different numbers. Uh, earnings last 12 months were $11.85. And if I divide that by 289, yep, that's like 4.1%. So they're close to where they should be. It's slightly ahead. It's slightly ahead. If you looked at the earnings yield, the uh, uh, it would a long term history. Yeah, it's very very close. They're within ten fifteen percent or so of where they should be. So that's a good thing. If if Apple sure. were selling for five hundred bucks, I'd be going like, yeah, no, this is not good. Yeah, yeah, it's overpriced. Okay. If I looked okay, at uh, so, yeah, Currently. so let's take another one. Let's let's take a look at Facebook. I haven't uh, looked at that one in a really long time. So, These are all tax, so they're going to be uh, uh, high, high, highly valued, of course. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you go back in 2009, the, they were giving them away. I mean, it was the, the stocks were down 60%. So, Today, yeah. there it's a whole different world, though, of course. No, it isn't. It's the same world. Eventually, the matter, wow. it's like, like a broken clock, dude, I'm telling you. It'll be right twice a day. <laughs> The broken clock is going to be right twice a day. These things will come around. At some point in time, everybody's going to get massively depressed. They're going to sell their oh, stocks, sure. and the stock's valuations will be a lot lower. But uh, So anyway, if I, if I take, uh, here's Facebook. Facebook's price was $208. Bucks. It, that's what it closed at. They earned $6.26 in the past 12 months. So if I divide 208, or I'm sorry, if I divide the uh Six dollars and twenty six cents by the share price. That gives me a yield. The yield is three percent. Okay, the yield on the earnings yield on Facebook is three percent. Long term average is is in the high fours, low fives. Okay? okay, so there's only one of two ways that this stock has an earnings yield that's close to five percent. Either the share price comes down, or the profits go up. That's one of two ways that that earnings yield could get back in line with normal. Now, Facebook's revenue was up 28% year over year the last time they reported their sales. That's a lot. That's 17 to 18, yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, okay. Actually, I would have to go back and look. It's the last 12 months. Okay. Okay. So up 28%. Not a calendar year. Right. Okay. And that's one of the reasons that Facebook's earnings yield is actually lower because people are willing to accept a lower return because they got all that growth. They're growing so fast. They'll say, all right, yeah, we'll take a 3% earnings yield today because we think over the next 12 to 18 months, it's going to grow so fast that that earnings per share is going to go up a lot. And if they're right, then the share price will probably be higher. If they're wrong, the share price will probably be, you know, a lot lower. It will take a dive. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but it's okay. right in line. I mean, it's not grossly overpriced. That that's a really good thing. It's not grossly okay. overpriced. And when you when you look, uh, just looking across the board, 
a lot of your your big stocks that make up a big chunk of almost every index on the planet are right around you know ten fifteen percent or so where they should be. There are a bunch of stocks that are in the uh, the background, uh, mid mid cap, smaller size companies who haven't really gotten a lot of attention, who are selling below those long term averages, and again, when you're selling below, that means more undervalued or potentially undervalued. That's a good thing. I I see that. I'm going. Well, you know, I I would relax. I would relax. The, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about. If the economy does slow down, if the sales growth on these companies slows down a little bit, they're going to come down. But that's just the nature of the beast. And trying to predict sure. that is like to trying to predict how many points the Browns going to score in the tenth game of year five from now. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's just really hard to do. And if you do end up predicting it, it's, it's going to be luck, not skill. Okay. Um. What, what sectors do you expect to be most attractive next year? Semiconductors. You, semi, you still semiconductors. semiconductors. Uh, absolutely. Okay. They still haven't. All right. uh, they're still not undervalued. I mean, I'm sorry, not overvalued. And uh, they're growing. That's the fastest growing industry on the planet. And you can thank 5G for that. But you know what? 5G is not the only driver for that. It's a big driver. Sure. But it's not the only driver. Uh, in fact, most products now are being manufactured with semiconductors in them because they're relatively inexpensive <clears throat> to manufacture. All the cost is in the research and development and the equipment. And once they've uh, spent the money and have the equipment in place, the raw materials for that are next to nothing. So they're very profitable once you're up and running. And there are a lot of other industries now that I'm, almost everything's got a semiconductor in it. I mean, it's unbelievable how many kids' toys sure, sure. you know have semiconductors in them. So it's a uh, I still like that a lot. I think it's a uh, uh, I think it's got a, a ways to go. Uh, if it were to drop, I would buy in the dips. Um, most of them have uh, you know are reaching or are at all time new highs now, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I wouldn't get too carried away with it, but I still like that industry a lot. But you still think they have a ways to go. Yep. How, how do you feel about ener- the energy sector? Hey, can you hang on? Because i got to take a real quick commercial yeah, sure. break, and, and then uh, I'll sure. be right back. Yep. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. I'll be back after these messages. When I'm found in the desert place Though I walk through the back. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. And I go back. Hey, Jerry, you still there? Yes, sir. All right. Yes, hey, if you want to... Yeah, you were talking energy. about the energy. Man, there is a ton of stuff going on in that industry. And it's all good. It is amazing to see how many things are happening in that space. Now, as you know, that does not mean that the stocks are going to skyrocket. but the backdrop is very, very positive. And here's something I would uh, recommend everybody do. If you got some time to kill, you don't know what to do. Go to Google and type in natural gas liquids and start reading. Okay. Natural gas liquids, basically jet fuel, um, diesel fuel, 
they're doing this in uh, a lot in the Middle East, especially from Dubai. And right. they're able to create uh, alternative fuels that are that burn much, much, much cleaner. The natural gas liquids burns uh, about 95% cleaner than the petroleum-based products, which is a big deal. Uh, and they burn so much cleaner that the equipment that they use them in ends up lasting longer. So that's a big, that's also a big deal. Um, we've got a ton. The United States is the new, you know, king of natural gas. We've got as much natural gas as uh, Saudi Arabia does oil. <laughs> We're the, uh, uh, so, and by the way, I'm just repeating stuff that I, I read a lot. And, but I'm telling you that this is, this is kind of a big deal. The performance on wind technologies that everybody was all, always crying about. You know, the uh, solar, yeah. And believe me, it's catching up, and it's going to. And everybody that's digging their heels into the ground saying, no, no, no. I'm like, hey, you know, look outside. Look, look to see how warm it is. <laughs> we really need to change what we're doing, and it's happening. It's actually happening. So if I were a kid and I didn't want to go to college, I would become an electrician. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. Those kids are going to make an unbelievable well, amount of money. And sure, well, sure, the skill level, of course. I mean, uh, your trades are the happening thing. Oh, and, and believe yeah, me, when everybody you're, needs them. Yeah. everybody needs them. When you're rewiring your house, uh, when you're hooking up either one of the uh, Bloom Energies natural gas, which it doesn't burn at all, by the way, it, the only byproduct of producing electricity with one of their products is water. Okay, and the water is actually. Uh, I think it's potable. I mean, you could probably drink it. I have to double check on that. But the uh, uh, bottom line is it is a lot cleaner and it costs significantly lower than getting electricity from uh, the grid. And the grid's changing. The grid's got to change. Our grid is old, outdated. Uh, it needs to be upgraded. The uh, all this What all this means is future growth. So I'm uh, I'm very excited. I, I see things happening. It reminds me of what things must have been like the last time we were in the 20s. Some people remember that as the roaring 20s. <laughs> well, these 20s are probably going to be roaring a lot louder louder than the last 20s were roaring. And uh, everybody worries. Well, yeah, but that ended up in you know, in the depression. Well, we didn't have a Fed back then. Uh, if the bank failed. They they had thirty days. You, you you had thirty days to answer. It might have been sixty days. It was a very short time period. They if they called your mortgage, called your note, you had to pay it off, or you lost your house. Okay. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that weren't in place back then, and uh, valuations were pretty high. Uh, and it's a uh, so yeah that that was pretty bad. We didn't have a lot of the precautionary measures that we have today. Uh, FDIC did not exist. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So. The chances of that happening are pretty remote, and the fact that stocks are right around where they should be, meaning they're not overpriced, and then you're looking at all this growth that's actually happening in the economy right now, I'm like, wow, this is this is nice. This is I think it's a good place to be. So. How about healthcare? Any thoughts? It's a mess. You know, okay. Healthcare so, does that he give you any does that give you any opportunity for to make a few bucks on it? Um, if you look deeply into what all the companies are doing, yeah, there, there's stuff in there. I wouldn't, 
I only own it as part of the funds that I hold because the funds are going to be experts at that. And if you're going to buy individual stocks, if you're not very specific at how you manage that money, then uh, the, the chance of you buying Merck or buying Pfizer and making the kind of returns that people did in the 90s, I think those days are over. I really do. And I... I, I think they'll, they're fine companies. They're very profitable. They'll probably continue to, to grow. I'm not sure at what kind of rate, but the government can step up and mess that up pretty quickly. They, they, they do everything else. Why should that be an exception? Yeah. And see, that's what I like about semiconductors. There's no government telling you how much you can charge for a semiconductor, but they can tell you how much to charge for you for a pill. Yeah. No, that's very true. So, okay, thanks for your help. Hey, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Yeah. Healthcare is a, oh man, that's just a tough situation. A really tough situation. No good answers there. I mean, it's just, it's hard. I don't know how that's going to go. I really don't. Yeah. I'm hoping that it, uh, they can come out with some plans that are going to be affordable for people, uh, keep them from having to spend down all their assets to, uh, you know, qualify for Medicaid to spend out the, the rest of their years in a nursing home. That's, that's horrible when that happens. Um, we'll talk more about that, those things in the future. Uh, we'll also talk about, you know, in the next few shows, the, uh, what you can do to, to lower taxes. There are some things you can do now. And that's always changing, by the way. Uh, and I do have a seminar coming up, and I believe it's January 30th. And uh, so if you wanted to and talk about a lot of those things or ask questions that you don't want to, if you call on the radio, you can actually show up there. I, I'm there typically a little early. I'll stay a little bit late and answer some questions. But right now, I've got to answer a couple of phone calls, and I got uh, Terry on the line. Terry, you're on the Bullington Capital Report. Hello, Bill. That's me. Uh, Bill, I have a question in regards to the new laws that were passed into uh, effect uh, December 20th by uh, President Trump in regards to the SECURE Act. Right. And specifically, the change in uh, required minimum distributions from age 70 and a half to age 72. And for those of us that have already been taking our RMDs for a few years now, are we affected by, uh, by that? In other words, uh, are they going to reconstruct the, uh, the tables for which we have to take our distributions? Well, they're just actually postponing the time period, which is fine. Uh, your life expectancy is not going to change at all. Or the, the calculations for that is based on your life expectancy. And uh, mm-hmm. so that will be, that's going to remain the same. You just don't have to take it out quite as early as you did before. But, I, but uh, see, I'm already taking it out. My wife and I both. Are you, uh, are, are, are you 72? Are we've, I'm I am uh, 71 right now. We'll be 72 next year, and I've already been taking it out uh, for a few years now. My wife is a couple years older, so in other words, um, do the I'm just not understanding if we're affected by that or we continue on with the amount that we're supposed to take out based on the well. There's going to be been, yeah, there's going to be a new calculation. Okay, uh, but okay. the uh, and it's just based basically based on your birthday, the amount that you have to take out is not going to change. The amount they're basically you have to amortize that over your life expectancy. I know that a bunch mm-hmm. of a bunch of fancy words there, 
Uh, that mm-hmm. has not changed. So the amounts at the the ages that you're taking out, to my knowledge, by the way, and I, I haven't re- read the whole thing yet, but it was my mm-hmm. impression. And so I'll do that. I'll go back and read that, uh, and then next week I'll come back and make a comment if, if I'm not uh, telling you what uh, I think is true. Okay. If, if I find out that it's not true, I'll come back and correct myself. So life expectancy. Yeah, because, you know, the, the factor that you have to divide your total by mm-hmm. is is on the table, and I was just curious if that factor that is on the table as it's been for several years, if that factor is going to change because they're changing the you know what? Actually, I yeah, I will actually. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I will look into that. My first reaction is that it probably isn't, but I don't know. So I'm glad you mm-hmm. brought that up. I just assumed. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I I just assumed that you, because your life expectancy doesn't change because you have to take money out later rather than earlier. Uh, the calcul they would use the same calculation for somebody who was that age at that point in time. But I will check that and make sure to talk about that next on next week's program. Very good. I appreciate that. And, and in addition to that, they're changing the way uh, those who inherit the uh, yes. IRAs right. uh, have to take their uh, distributions. They've changed that from uh, like a stretch IRA, which yeah, is short the period be, down. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the, to 10 years as opposed to over their Stretch life has actually yeah, gone right. away now. Sure. Yep. So, so it's, uh, yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it's, it could be a significant change when you gave for, all those, uh, billionaires tax breaks, you got to get that money back somehow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, anyway, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, those were my questions, but I mean, basically for those of us that have already been taking, um, our RMDs for a couple years now, how does it affect us? Is the does the table change basically for us? Because uh, well, again, my assumption is that it, it probably doesn't change the table. Uh, it just allows you to to not have to go by the table for you know an extra period of time. But I'll I'm going to double check because it might have. I, I don't. I really don't know. I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that question because uh, I will yeah. go back and uh, and figure that out. So oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, that's it, Bill. All right. Have Thank a good you. weekend. Happy you New Year. Too. Thank you, Mary, and uh, Happy New Year. Thank you. And I'm going to go to Bob. Bob, you're on the uh, Bullington Capital Report. Uh, this is Bob. Are you Bob? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, Bill. <laughs> hey. Uh, I have a question regarding the uh, the annuity that you've been yeah, yep, discussing yep, sure. over the last few weeks. Which, uh, do you know whether or not that particular annuity qualifies under IRS uh, way of looking at things as a, uh, a deductible business expense for those of us that might be starting a new business where we're the sole uh, employee and we can set up uh, certain plans that are deductible. It, 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 well, I've been y- told by my tax expert that uh, the financial planner people know which annuities are uh Qualify. qualify and which do not. Yeah. I'm just wondering whether or not that... It does. It qualifies, uh, yes. And I would probably use the investment-only option. See, this, this is what's really unique about that particular product, 
Um, most of the products have insurances built into the product, and you have no choice but to pay those extra fees, which you're probably not even seeing anyway. Um, this one has an investment-only option, and it's the lowest-cost variable annuity uh, on the market right now. Uh, they only charge you 20 bucks a month to do all that extra paperwork, and you get access to funds that you ordinarily would not get access to. These are institutional funds. You normally have to have a million dollars per fund to be able to invest in the, in the funds that are available there, and there are 350 of them. Uh, Vanguard, Fidelity, you name it. Uh, it's a, uh, so it's a very different product. Yes, you can use it, and I think it does make a lot of sense uh, to be able to get access to those funds because there are very few ways to, to be able to invest in those funds outside of that. Your extra cost would be 20 bucks a month. So it doesn't matter whether you have, you know, 20,000 or 2 million. It's still only $20. The, uh, you have a, there's an advisory fee. If you go through an advisor who wants to manage it for you, you guys negotiate that yourself. But it avoids a lot of the other, uh, really, some of these, uh, funds. People don't even know how much they are. The, the companies themselves don't know how much their expenses are going to be because there's this thing called a carrying cost that's built into the futures and options contracts that they're buying. It's unbelievably complicated. Whenever I hear stuff like that, I just like, don't walk away from that. Run. <laughs> the expenses are so high in so many of these products, and, and it really it gives the whole industry a bad name. Uh, people get upset by that all the time. There are some that were, were approved specifically for retirement plans, and they're mostly fixed options where you get a... Uh, uh, a slightly higher rate of return that's guaranteed. It's, it's still going to be pretty low, by the way, but the, uh, it's slightly higher than a CD or a government bond. And they've been approved to be used in a 401k plan or a retirement plan for small businesses. Um, but that's not the same thing as the investment only. So I, I hope that, um, that helps you out. There are some that the product that I was talking about is approved for that, uh, particular area. Uh, whether or not it's the right one. Uh, really depends on what you're trying to do, what you'd like to accomplish, how old you are, how much money you're going to put into it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you have to go through before you can say, okay, yeah, that's the right one. But, uh, so feel free to call me in my office. We, I do it all the time. Uh, and, uh, we can send you some more information on it, let you know if, if that might be the right product. And if not, you know, we can show you some alternatives, but, um, there's no cost well, to that. Pretty, that's great. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I just think it makes a lot of <laughs> an oh. extra, there's uh, like extra frosting on the cake if you can get the government to pay for your uh, contribution. Yeah, yeah, that's that's as, not, as a business expense right, on yeah. your in your business. You know, I've always said that the retirement plans are the closest thing to magic you'll ever find, and I'll tell you why that is that way when we come back from these messages. Hey, Bob, did you want to hang on or do you want to uh, take off? No, that's fine, Bill. Uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you okay, very much. Thank you. Listen to Bill Bullington. I'll be right back. Look at the mess. I And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can reach me online by going to my website, bullingtoncapital.com. 
You can sign up for that seminar. It's free. There's no cost to attend. You don't have to go to a seminar to schedule a meeting. We offer a free Get Acquainted meeting. You can come and ask your questions in person. Uh, find out uh, what we do, if it would be a good fit for you. So not a problem with that. But again, Bullington Capital, The uh, we're calling this next seminar the Question and Answer Seminar. And some of the uh, questions that we're going to discuss is the economy. You know, we're on a roll now, but how long will it last? Where will the future growth come from and how do you identify and invest in the opportunities that result from these developments? We'll spend most of the time actually talking about that. Are interest rates ever going to go up? Is it possible to minimize taxes without reducing returns? That's where that uh, investment-only type tax-deferred product like a uh, investment-only annuity come in. Big help there. How do you minimize risk when the stock market is so volatile? And we're going to uh, take questions. So i got to go to the phone right now. And Jimmy has been waiting so patiently. Thank you so much for hanging on. And uh, how can I help you? Yeah, good morning, Bill. Morning. I I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on a stock. It's called Exact Sciences, uh, symbol E-X-A-S. And they're the makers of that. Uh, colon guard, colon cancer screening product you see advertised on TV. Mm-hmm. And they just acquired a company out of California called Genomic Health, who also specializes in cancer testing and advanced molecular diagnostics. Right. So I wanted to see what you thought of that company and its prospects for future growth. Well, the uh, that would actually take me a while um, because I'd have to go to the company's website and I'd have to read about the uh, what they uh, uh, are doing. Um, you're talking about something that would take more than an hour, <laughs> like a, at least an hour. And so that company, by the way, I recognize as one of the positions in a lot of the exchange-traded funds that I hold. Um, and I'm not a... Um, it's pretty wild though, because that thing has a uh, its price to sales ratio is sixteen. The average is two, so people are paying sixteen times revenues and on that alone. If that does not come up on one of my momentum scans, I am not interested in it. And I, it's already got priced in. Everybody's already anticipating a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned to me. That was news to my ears, by the way. But so what that tells me is when the market value of the company. Is thirteen almost fourteen billion dollars, and they have less than a billion in sales. So, if you look at the the market value of the stock, and then uh, divide the sales by that, that's called the price to sales ratio. It's sixteen and a half when the average is only two, and you're at sixteen and a half. That's pretty optimistic. So, a lot yeah. of that, a lot of that stuff that that you t- you just talked about. It, I, I think it's already factored into the current share price. So, I, I really wouldn't be interested in it. Okay, so you think it's a pretty overvalued at this point? Yeah, yeah, and it might double. I mean, I've seen crazier things than that happen. But the uh, you know, at this point, that's just too high risk for my blood. So I'm going to pass. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your perspective. Well, I appreciate you calling in, and uh, have a good weekend, and and uh, have a good new year. Take care, Bill. Bye bye. Thank you. Okay, now I've got to go to Walter. Walter. You're on the Bullington Capital Report. Hey, Bill. Hey. Uh, several things to ask you about. Sure. Um, what, do you know that uh, I was watching uh, PBS, and, and I don't have cable or satellite, 
and it's very hard to get PBS when you don't have that. You know, <laughs> yeah, I want to right. make a, a, I talk about an industry that might make somewhat of a comeback: antennas. You know, yeah. for all the people that don't have cable and fa- I mean, that's like a must. Yeah, actually, that five G thing. Once they get the um, all the infrastructure in place, it'll actually fix all that. The uh, you'll have a five G. You'll have the ability to get five G. And you'll get any station in the world. I can hardly wait because no, I'm not. I'm kidding about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I can wait. <laughs> but uh, CNBC, they did the PBS. They said that was their last show uh, yesterday. Oh. I, don't, I don't know if they're going to still have a business show then. You know, a lot of people watch PBS to get their business news. Okay. Um, um, uh, here's a question. I saw this. This is an interesting article by a guy named Horowitz. Uh-huh. He says that in the future if trends are going the way they are, mm-hmm. that we're going to have, well, regular people are going to have less and less to invest in. Because according to him, private equity firms are really buying up a lot of the companies that would go public. Yes, they are. And he says in the last 10 years that uh, there was a, it was, I, I forget what the percentage was, but there's been a big reduction in the amount of companies that have uh, gone public. Right. Is that, is that going to be a continuing trend? Uh, it's been that way for about 10 years now. I mean, it's it's shrinking. We and I talk about this all the time. You've got roughly thirty one hundred stocks or so, give or take. You know, whatever the market when the market goes up or down, uh, the uh, their market caps fluctuate. But you got about a little over three thousand stocks that funds can invest in. And I don't know. I've got somewhere around sixty thousand stocks in my Morningstar data or funds in my Morningstar database. <laughs> there, there are literally multiple funds compared to the number of stocks there are for them to invest in. And that's been existing for a long time. And it's one of the reasons that, that market cap weighting has done so well. It's not because the stocks themselves are worth what they're selling for or that they're valued correctly. It's because they've created all these funds and they've got a shrinking pool of stocks to invest in. It's a supply and demand thing. It's not based on value at all, and that that just has been killing everybody who is a uh, you know tries to pick stocks for a living. Most of the professional managers, the mutual fund industries, are getting crushed. And uh, I'm looking at that, going, yeah, mm, it, it's very dangerous to do that. That's you know the S and P 500 is the largest, most popular market cap weighted index, and when that thing crashed in 2000 and then got back to where it finally was seven years later and then crashed again. <laughs> That's what happens with market cap waiting. You can go for 10 years or longer with a negative return. And that's just uh, So even if your short-term returns are going to be lower, you got to put up with that because in the long run, loading up on Microsoft when it's $400 billion instead of when it was $4 billion doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. In the short run, it'll beat you, the uh, like a large percentage of the time. So that's what makes investing so difficult because uh, you know you get to a point where things go up just because people are buying them, and uh, it doesn't have any attachment to the underlying value, which is why I was talking about value in the earlier part of the today's show. The the good news is that these stocks are right around where they should be. They're not overpriced yet. Yeah, so I still think there's time, and I still think there's a lot of growth. I know there's a lot of growth. There are so many things happening at the same time that have the potential to increase GDP and economic, act, which is economic activity, 
in uh, in valuations that you know I'm not worried about it today. Uh, ask me again five years from now. I might have a you know if 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 the market were to go up 150 percent from here in five years, I would be extremely concerned. But I'll wait. You know we'll cross that bridge when we get there. By the way, if I have twice as much money, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Probably okay. <laughs> um, question on a Roth IRA? Right. I heard this uh, last week. I just wanted to get this clear with you. I heard a guy say that you can't invest money that you get from rental income into a Roth IRA. It has to be regular, like, job income. Earned income is what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, what about Social Security? No, that's they, not. Yeah, that's not earned income either. So, so in other words... You can't invest anything that you make from rental or Social Security. It has to be like earned income. Is that enforced, or how, how would they even, you know? Well, if you, they're going to look at your tax return, and it's okay. So you're actually supposed to be licensed now to give advice on uh, income tax. So yeah, I, they are killing me with all these regulations. So what I'm about to tell you, I'm, I have to tell you, you have to talk to a licensed tax professional. <laughs> Okay. The uh, by law, okay, but my understanding, you know, notwithstanding, is that yeah, you have to have earned income. That means income you got from working to be able to fund a Roth IRA. Now, if I'm wrong, then I, I could be wrong, but that that's my understanding. So, so say so, if you got laid off from a job and you have money in the bank, but if you but if you worked for a few months that year, let's say you made ten thousand dollars in the first, I don't know four months or three months, two months, yeah. two weeks, whatever the, uh, if you had earned that, well then, yeah, you could, you could, you'd be entitled to do a Roth IRA that year, even if the money came from your rental properties or social security, because you had enough earned income to qualify. Does that make sense? Yeah. What, what if you inherited money? Um, that doesn't count as earned income. So you got to have enough earned income. If you inherited money, but you also had a job and you, and you, Spent the money you made from the job, but you inherited the money, you'd still be able to take the Roth IRA. Okay. Oh, I feel so bad for this guy. I, he held on for six minutes. His name was Walter, and uh, I didn't get to him. I hear the music. That means my show's over, Brian. <laughs> okay. Hey, th- thanks for calling. If you have any other questions, just call me in the office, and uh, appreciate it. And you've been listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. I apologize to the caller again. You can call me in the office. Uh, feel free. Yeah, have a good week, everybody. Good luck, good investing, and Happy New Year. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.